Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah. Whew. Is that really what we're going to talk about today? Um, my goodness, those are all the best parts of religion, right? Uh, incense and holy garments. Um, just love it, love it. And so if, like, if you're new here, you're thinking, man, I, I have made a huge mistake, right? For those of you who've been around any length of time, maybe you're thinking, I've made a huge mistake. I mean, I could have stayed home, right? I could be, I could be in bed right now. Uh, if you're a pastor supposed to preach on a text like this, you might be thinking you made a huge mistake. Like, really? This is, this is what we're going to talk about? Like, these are the portions of the Bible that we, we either don't read at all or we skim over them at, at best, right? But we're going to take an entire morning. Man, it is all the best parts of religion, though, right? Lampstands, altars, arcs, tents of meeting, holy garments. I mean, this is... This is where it's fun, isn't it? Well, we're actually, we are here on purpose. This was a choice. Uh, in fact, we have chosen to take eight weeks this summer, an entire series, to walk through some of the weirder, or at the very least, maybe not weird, but like less known stories of the Bible, the stories that we've maybe just forgotten or, or maybe never even heard of. Stories we love, stories that continue to speak, uh, but if the Bible was an album, they would definitely be on the B-sides, you know what I'm saying, right? We just kind of ignore them, right? And so we're calling it Forgotten Family, part of the ancient people of God, our family of faith, whose ancient stories ring true even today. Good stories, important stories, helpful stories, but forgotten stories. And so we're going to take the next eight weeks We'll jump around uh, throughout different places, so we're not going to settle into one particular spot of Scripture. We'll be in all kinds of places, Old and New Testament uh, as well, um, and going to look at a different sort of forgotten family member each, each week. So we'll have women like Miriam next week, and then Deborah, Abigail, Lydia down the road, men like Uzziah, whoever that is, right, Philemon, uh, and believe it or not, even these two chaps, Bezalel and Oholiab, do they have something to teach us today? Also, with this series, hopefully you picked up last week. If not, you can grab them uh, kind of in between the doors. This is kind of our companion journal. has uh, the, the kind of the, some things, ways to reflect, to engage, the scriptures to read. You can also sign up uh, for the Formed Life. Because we're jumping around so much, covering oftentimes very large portions of, of text or stories, uh, this can be really helpful for you or doing the Formed Life online as well. So make sure you grab, grab that. Now, these two guys... 
Bezalel and Oholiab, my guess is if you've heard of them at all, uh, it was probably, you know, that time you tried to read through the Bible and got to about Exodus 31, um, and we're like, I, I'm out, right? I don't know what to do with this, right? Most of us, these guys are completely forgotten for most of us. And I'm just going to warn you, these, their story, this, this one today is actually really boring. Like, you heard it read, right? There's no, there's no lion's dens, you know, fiery furnaces, no parting waters or manna coming down from heaven. There's no, nothing, nothing like that at all. Instead, what we have are two ordinary Joes, a couple of blue-collar construction workers, people who work with their hands, who get dirty day in and day out, people who, sadly, we often forget about or ignore, but also who come with an essential lesson for God's people today. And if you take, if you take just one thing with you from our time together today, from these, from these men, I hope it's this. We have more strength than we know for more of life than we imagine. If you're part of this family, right, the family of God through faith, Old and New Testament, like if you're part of God's family through faith, you have more strength than you know for more of life than you imagine. Which is, that's really good news, people, because I don't know, like I'm overwhelmed. Are you, I mean... I'm tired, like my to-do lists, I can't, I can't, I write things on there faster than I can check things off, right? We just got home from a trip yesterday, right? So I, you know, get back home and it's like, oh my, like, where do I even begin, right? Do you, anybody else, because you've got, you got work and you've got school and you've got thinking about, you know, your, your, you know, hobbies, if you actually have any time for that, like home projects, like all of this stuff, right? It's just, it's too much. We have so many goals, lists, accomplishments. It's almost like we, we took a year off with COVID or we, we tried to, we, we kind of shut down a lot of our lives, and now all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel overwhelmed again, right? There's just so much. And then you, then you look at our world, right? You, you look beyond even yourself, and it's like, man, there's so much brokenness and pain, anger and injustice. Everything feels so big. And we feel so small. And yet, church, we have more strength than we know for more of life than we imagine. So if if you haven't already, turn to Exodus 31. If you have a a Bible app on your phone, go look there. Uh, Exodus is not too hard to find because it's right at the beginning, right? It's the second book of the Bible, so you don't have to go very far. Start at the beginning. So let me kind of set some of the context here. Where where are we at in the the biblical story? So this is is after, after the flood, after Abraham and Isaac and all of that. This is even after the enslavement of God's people in Egypt. So they've spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. It's after, it's after all of that. But they're not yet to the promised land. So they're kind of in this in-between spot, right? They're, they haven't qu- quite gotten to their home yet. And yet they need a home to be able to worship their God. They want a place to worship. They, they've just, you know, they've witnessed the plagues and the party of the Red Sea. They want to worship this God. And so they want a place of of beauty and holiness and wonder, really a taste of Eden, right? A taste of God's presence. And so they set out to build a tabernacle. It's also referred to as a tent of meeting, right? A tent. Because they're they're nomadic. They're moving around, right? They're, They're not home yet. And I always knew God loved camping, right? So, I mean, that makes sense. It's a tent. Uh, that's my dad joke for today. I had to get one in. It's Father's Day. I can do what I want. So, um, there it is. But, like, when, but, 
So, you don't, you don't like camping? Well, look at, look at this tent, though. Look at the tent. Let me, sh- let me show. Because it's, it's not like a little tiny Coleman, right? This is, like, this is a big deal that God is doing. It, it's meant to be like a, 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 a mobile Eden. Like a, a place that they can pick up and take with them so that they have a place to center their, their focus and their joy and their worship. A place of beauty, again, and wonder, right? And, and so they, they needed to build this. And then, of course, all of these implements that go with it, these utensils and garments and altars and all these kinds of things in this long, long list, Right? but things of beauty and holiness and wonder to facilitate the worship to the God who saved them. But somebody had to make it, all of it. If you look at that, like there's a lot of work to go into that, right? Somebody had to do all of that. Ordinary craftsmen, right? Boring, unheroic, and frankly forgettable. Building a place for God to meet with his people. Well, of course, Nathan, somebody had to build it. It's like, we get that, right? But what surprises me here is that God doesn't, like, leave them to build it alone. It's like, build me a tent, call me when it's done. Like, you see that, that God is all over this story. Like, he is the one acting and moving in this story. God joins him joins them in, in their work. So church, like, don't, don't miss this. Let, re, let me read it again. Exodus 31, beginning with uh, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel. And then he gives kind of his family heritage. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him Oholiab, and I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then it's like this long, long grocery list of everything God told them to make. But you see there, like God called them, right? Gave them wisdom, skill, filled them even with himself. See that? Like his Holy Spirit empowering them to do this work. And what, what amazes me is that this is actually the first time in the Bible where that phrase is used, where God fills someone with the Holy Spirit. Where, like, where God puts himself, where it says he puts himself in someone else to do a task. It's the first time, that, it's, it's common throughout scripture, but this, this is the first time that happens where it says that God fills someone with his spirit and he fills them with himself, with his spirit, to do something as ordinary and as mundane as their jobs to just do their work well. Their work matters so much to God that he gives them his spirit. I, again, I don't know about you, but that, that surprises me. And so here, here's the first thing, first lesson from this, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna have three of these here, but first thing in particular from this forgotten story that we cannot forget is that everything matters to God. Like that's, when I read this story, it's like, man, God cares about a lot of stuff if he put this in his book, right? If he's, if he's so, like, it's kind of crazy. He gave, gave them his spirit to be able to accomplish it, to create it, that everything matters to God. We, ex- we expect God's spirit to come when Moses preaches a sermon, right? When Miriam uh, composes and then sings a song, we'll talk about Miriam next week. We, we expect his presence when, you know, manna rains down or the, the waters part. But how many of us expect the presence of God Empowering the people, making a tent, a couple of tables, and some clothes. 
We don't, do we? And look, at, look, again, look again at the list, verse, verse 7. All the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings, and all its utensils, and the basin with it and its stand, and the finely worked garments, and on and on and on it goes, right? The, these, these craftsmen, artists, designers, architects, builders. Because God cares about all of it. Now, you might, you might be thinking, okay, Nathan, I, I get that, fine, but it's for the tabernacle. Like, it's literally for God. It's a place for God. It's not just any work. It's not just any craftsmanship. This is, this is special. Well, you're right. Absolutely, it is. But most scholars point out that the tabernacle, and then after that, the promised land, and then the temple, and then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus, and then the church, and then the culmination of all things is, is the new creation, that each of these point back to the very beginning, to the garden, to the place of God dwelling with his people, that all of, all of scripture is about the story of the God who wants to be present with his, with his people. And so the tabernacle is meant to just give us a snapshot of that, to, to focus back on this, the presence of God in the garden. The, the, the tabernacle is rich with imagery from Eden, from Genesis 1 and 2. So yes, what Bezalel is doing here is unique, no doubt. And yet, what, he's, what Bezalel is doing is continuing the work that Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden. Cultivating a place for God's presence. The work that you and I were commanded to do in the garden from the very, very beginning. You see, the entire, the entire world is meant to be a tabernacle to God. From Genesis to Revelation, that is a story. Everything is meant to be a place that swells with his presence. A place of delight and wonder and worship and beauty before our God. All of it is. And so whether you look at Genesis 1 and 2 or Exodus 31, it's abundantly clear. Everything matters to God. Because everywhere is meant to be a place where God would dwell with his people. You know, sometimes as, as Christians, I think wrongly, sadly... It sort of crept into our, our common thinking that God really just cares about like souls, you know, the immaterial, the spiritual world, that really the goal of humanity is to leave the physical behind. Like one day we're gonna just be floating around on clouds with harps, right, with God. But like we're gonna leave the physical behind and become purely spiritual. That's not actually the story of scripture. That's not the story we read in the Bible. The story of the Bible contains both, right? Both physical and spiritual. That matter matters to God. He made a whole lot of it, didn't he? He crafted it for us in the garden. He declared it good. He gave us bodies. He didn't have to do that. Jesus had a body. More telling, Jesus rose again with a body. And the ultimate heaven that we read about in Scripture is not clouds and harps. It's, it's a new creation, a new, physical, real, tangible, touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it, creation. And if that's true, if that's the story of Scripture, that means that there's, there is no sacred and secular division, right? Everything is sacred because everything matters to God. Everything is, in, is infused with his glory and his wonder. Everything matters because everything is meant to draw us back into the presence of God. This is why beauty and goodness is so important. For those of you creative types, you know who you are, right? 
or, or artists, right? People who you just enjoy working with your hands. Like this is, like you should, you gotta frame this passage and hang it on your wall. Like this is, this is for you, right? This reminds us, like this stuff matters to God. Beauty is not God's hobby. It is part of the core of his, his sort of work, his vocation in the world, right? Beauty and goodness and joy, all of this ties together. It is, it is a passion of, of God's. Just look, look what he made. You can't tell me beauty doesn't matter to God. Look around. And look here at Exodus, that God sends his Holy Spirit to empower them to make something beautiful. This is why, for example, we have an art gallery at our, at our downtown campus, because beauty matters to God. And then you can, you can expand that broader, right? Our, our work, if everything matters to God, our work, whether we get paid for it or, or, or not, like, whether you're retired or you're, you know, a kid, right? We all, we all contribute to the world, don't we? That's, that's work. It's contribution. It's not, it's not payment. It's contribution. We all, we all do that, no matter what your role is. And our work, then, whether you build homes or teach kids, take care of an aging parent, whether you preach sermons or work at Garmin, everything we do is an attempt ultimately to restore Eden. We may, not, we may not recognize that, right? We often don't. But everything we do is, a, is an attempt to refashion some sort of tabernacle, a place of goodness and beauty for the presence of God to dwell with his people. Every good thing you make, every person you serve, every act of beauty or kindness or justice is ultimately an attempt to give us a, a taste of the presence of God, a restoration of all that was meant to be. In other words, you and I have way more in common with Bezalel than when we would often imagine. I mean, you may, not, you may not be trying to build a tabernacle. I mean, I don't know what you do in your spare time. Right? You probably don't have one of those literally going on in your backyard. But, but you are. You are working on one. You are building one. Because everything matters to God and everywhere is meant to be a place of his presence. Just as Adam and Eve were commanded in the garden to work the first tabernacle, right? To cultivate and keep it. So you and I are called by God to make something good and beautiful of this world. A place for his presence. So no pressure, right? I mean, some of you came in and you're like, you're stressed enough about your to-do list. Now you find out you're not just changing diapers or leading a company. Right, you're actually doing something weighty of, of creating a place for the presence of God in those spaces. No pressure. But that leads us to the second thing from this strange and forgotten story. Because yes, yes, we should feel the weight of this. Like if, if, if truly, like if everything matters to God and including the things that we do day in and day, if it really matters to God, we should feel the weight of stewardship around that of what, what God has called us to. But do not forget the second thing here. Work was always meant to be a partnership. Work was always meant to be a partnership. You and I were never meant to work alone. We were never meant to work within the limitations of our finite capacity, like with the strength that we have. With what we experience in our broken bodies, our broken minds, and our broken hearts, we were never meant to work like this. You cannot build the tabernacle alone. You can't, you can't cultivate the garden by yourself. And whatever, whatever your job is right now, 
Don't try to do it by yourself. Instead, we see it right here, partner with God and partner with his people. Because this is the pattern that we see here. This is the pattern that we see in the garden. That, that Bezalel, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not alone in this work. God is clearly with him. Let me, let me read it again, right? So see, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And you see that, that God is, he's the active partner in this work. He's not, he's not the passive one. It's not build me a tent, call me when it's done, right? He, God calls, God fills. And I, and I love this. God even takes credit for Bezalel's ability, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship. I love that. Because we don't, we don't know how gifted Bezalel was before this story. Like, we don't know anything about him. Um, I, I can only imagine, again, we don't know this for sure, but I can only imagine that this is, this is work that he was doing long before the tabernacle came along, Right? Chances are he'd been apprenticed in this work. He'd been doing this for years, like day in and day out. This was essentially his job. Again, we don't, we don't know that for sure. And regardless, like either way, God is clearly part of this equation. So yeah, maybe he's been trained, but God is the one who calls. Maybe he had some, some gifting before this, but God is the one who fills. And ultimately, God is the one who takes credit for these, these gifts, which means Bezalel is meant to do his work in partnership with God, not in isolation from him. Now, again, you might be thinking, well, good for, good for Bezalel, right? This is the tabernacle. It's like, I don't work on a tabernacle, Nathan. I, I know, right? It's hard to make these connections for ourselves. But the best way to do that always in, in passages like this is to go back to the first tabernacle. Because that is the picture we're given for all of us for reality of how the world ought to work. Because the same is true there with Adam and Eve. And every time I think about this, I, mean, I just, I love the garden story for so many reasons. So I just, I love, I, Genesis 1 and 2 are so important to understanding reality, right? And, and the world and, and our purpose in it, right? They're so important. But every time I remind myself, it just blows me away. Like picture this, like God creates the world. He speaks and it is. All, all the, the beauty and the delight, the utility, all that we enjoy, he, he, he speaks, and, it, and it, it is, and he calls it good, right? He calls it very good. And then in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Like to, to, to cultivate it. Like to make it better. It, like, just let that sit in for a second. Because God said, my work is done, essentially. He finished on the sixth day, right? It says he finished, and yet it wasn't quite done because there was work left for Adam and Eve to do. I mean, God could have just given him fields of food, could have given him an entire, you know, fridge full of food, right? He didn't have, he could have named the animals himself, right? He could have given him a house and clothes and all that, but he doesn't. He gives Adam and Eve what they need, the raw material, and says, you go figure out the rest, in this tabernacle where God is present with them. And similarly, God could have just plopped the tabernacle down from heaven, like this prefab tabernacle or something. He could have, he could have done that, but he doesn't. He saves some of the work for us. Again, that amazing? And sometimes he saves us the best part. 
Andy Crouch, I've, I've talked about this before, but I just I love this. Andy Crouch, the author, um, he talks about how um, you know God, God makes wheat, and wheat is good, but he let us figure out how to make bread. Like bread is, I mean, bread is so much better than wheat, right? God made grapes. Nobody, I can't, I can't do that, but he let us figure out how to make wine. Like, wine is so much better. Like, like God invites us, he saves some of the best parts for us to join him in his work. He can do your job without you, whatever it is. But he's chosen to invite you in to his creative process in making this world a little bit better. Just imagine, imagine what would change in your workplace, or, you know, maybe not there, right, because some of us have very little control about our workplace. Imagine what would change in your attitude at your workplace if we actually believe that no matter what we do, that we saw our jobs as an invitation from God himself to partner with him, to work alongside him, to make his world even just a tiny bit better. What a beautiful reality. Which leads to the last thing. It's where we started. Because again, I'm feeling overwhelmed in this moment, okay? It just keeps, the weight, the stakes keep getting higher here. But not only are we invited to partner with him, as we parent our kids, as we teach in the classroom, as we go to the office or the job site, this means we have more strength than we know for more of life than we imagine. And that's where we started. We have more strength than we know for more of life than we imagine. Let me read it, let's start again. He writes, see, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Again, that's, a, that's the first time that's used, right? For this ordinary and mundane work. And I know, again, we're not, we're not Bezalel. We're not building a literal tabernacle. And yet, because of Jesus, these same words are used about you. Like, if you're, if you're in this family, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called by God. You have. To himself and to his people and to his work. And you have been filled with his Spirit. Like, that is, that is a promise for all who believe in him. The same spirit who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. Like, that, that same power, like, that same spirit lives now within you. Empowering you to do the work that he has called you to do in every place in which he has put you. Fills you and empowers you. You know, I think, I think it's, it's tragic that we so often, I so often limit what the Spirit is good for. Like, you know, I, I, know, I know the Spirit is good for, like, Sunday stuff, right? Like, when I read my Bible, when I'm afraid, when I'm facing temptation, when I'm sharing my faith with someone, or when I'm, you know, teaching in a classroom or something like that, like, I, like I know in those spaces that I, I need God's Spirit. But listen, like, Bezalel shows us that God's Spirit isn't just good for Sunday stuff but for Monday stuff too. For anything and everything that we do. Strengthening us and empowering us for all the work that, that is before us. I mean, church, I, I know that I need God's spirit when I preach a sermon. That's, I know that. In fact, if you're ever wondering what I'm thinking about those few moments before I go up, go up. It's usually, God, I send your spirit. I need your spirit. Help me. Like, I know it in those spaces. But what I often forget, right, or ignore is that I need God's spirit when I'm, working on home projects, and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to parent my kids more effectively, when I'm wrestling through, you know, budget questions for our family, or, or you know, sitting in, a, in the boardroom, or in a, in a meeting, right, or trying to just figure out how to serve others, like, we need God's Spirit in all of those places, 
No matter what you do, no matter what your job, we need his help. We were never meant to do our work alone. On our own strength, we're too weak. There's too much to do. We, I mean, anybody else? Like, I can't do it all. But you were never meant to. As part of this family, you have God's spirit within you, empowering you, strengthening you, and we pray giving you great joy in whatever work you're called to. So what do, we, what do we do about all this? Let me just offer quick, three quick thoughts just for application here. Quick, three, can't talk. Three quick things in response to this strange story. First, you've got to begin here. First, you've got you've to find the tabernacle in your work. Because I know, I know if you've not thought in these terms before about like how is my work bringing apart good, goodness and beauty, how, how is my work bringing about the presence of God, right? Like, you've got to do some of that work. Find the sacredness in your work. And if you need help with that, talk to somebody on staff. Talk to maybe somebody in your community group. Like, work through that. Like, find those places of of the ways in which you are bringing even just the smallest taste of redemption, of God's presence into those spots. That's where you've got to begin. Find the tabernacle in your work. Second, no tabernacle is complete without the presence of God, right? So take God to work with you. I know that sounds cheesy. I don't care. Take God to work with you. Like, and we know, like, he's already there. We know that. I'm not, of course he is. But you've got, we have to train ourselves to see, to, to, to remind ourselves that we are not alone in those spaces. You're, you're, not, you're not alone when you're changing diapers and you feel very isolated, right? You're not, you're not alone when you're trying to figure out how do I, how do I help my kids? How do, I, how do I raise them? You're not alone when you we don't know what the next thing to do at work is or right? how, to, how to lead the people around you or how to serve underneath the people above you. You're not alone. The God of the universe, the one who made you, who knows you better than you know yourself, wants to partner with you in those spaces. Invite him in and work with him. And then finally, knowing that you are not alone, right? Which means that the results are not all up to you. Deep breath, sigh of relief. Here's the third thing. Um, Rest in the strength that he supplies. Like if this is all true, right? If if ultimately it's God we're partnering with, God whose spirit works through us, then you you just have to trust him. Like you just, you do your part, you do your best, right? And you say, God, I, I know it's not enough. I know I'm inadequate to this task. And yet, I'm gonna, I, I trust you with the results. Like, you are the God of the universe. You can take my meager attempts and you can make them into something beautiful. Would you do that, please? You have his spirit. Ask him for his help and rest in the strength that he supplies. You know, we often, we often forget. I mean, this is another sort of puzzling thing about the Bible, right? And about our, our story that we, we live into. Uh, we often forget that Jesus was a carpenter. Like, we know that he was. Like, we, like that's a common phrase. Oh, yeah, he was a carpenter. Like, but we forget about, like, what that actually means. Like, think about that. Like, the God of the universe, the Messiah, the king, the king of the universe, the one who made everything, actually spent more time, many, much more time, many, many years more time working with his hands, getting dirty, than he ever spent preaching sermons or performing miracles. So much more time. He understands the mundane. He knows what it's like to be overlooked. 
He knows what it's like to get up day after day and do the same thing over and over again and probably at times wonder, like, man, how, how is this contributing to your plan, God? Jesus knows what it's like. And yet Jesus is also the ultimate presence of God. He is the true tabernacle, right? And because of his life, death, and resurrection, we, we who are his, like, we have hope that he's, he's gonna return and that when he does, he, he is going to finally establish his presence on earth. I mean, I love the picture of this in Revelation 21 and 22, like when this sort of garden city is restored. Like it says very clearly, there's no temple there, which is kind of puzzling, right? Because the temple really matters in scripture, and yet it's because the presence of God is everywhere in the new creation. And so the work that you begin now, God is gonna finish. The places of, of goodness and beauty that you contribute to, God, he's going to come back and he's, he's gonna make it f- finally full and complete. And so in the meantime, we work, but let us work with joy because we have more strength than we know for more of life than we imagine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we need this. I need this. And so God, I pray first of all that would you, would you show us, every person in this space or joining us online, would you show us, young and old, whether, whether you know, we're leading a company or we're working in a cubicle, whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd show us even just a tiny bit where that tabernacle lies. For kids, for those who are retired, God, those places of contribution where we can add goodness and beauty into your world so that we can experience just a taste of who you are. God, show us, show us that. And then, God, would you remind us that you have not left us alone in those spaces. And so, God, I, I just pray for those who are not looking forward to Monday morning. I'm sure there's a few people in here who feel that way. God, I pray that as they get ready for work tomorrow, or maybe it's later on today, or whatever, whatever their schedule is, or maybe it's just the constant uh, working with kids and all that stuff, God, I, just, I pray that they would know that you are beside them in each of those things. God, would they even feel your presence and your love as you empower them and strengthen them? God, would they know that they are serving you in those spaces? God, would, they, would we rest always in the strength that you supply, knowing that ultimately, God, it is up to you. Help us to be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.